Welcome to Money and Taxes from BB to XYZ. I'm Regina Neenan, Certified Financial Planner. And I'm Jason Spessner, Certified Financial Planner and Enrolled Agent. And boy, do we have a juicy episode today, Jason. We are going to be talking about money and tipping. And this has been a pretty contentious topic that I've been hearing a lot about lately. And I have my own thoughts to share here. So listeners, be sure to uh, stick with us to the end when I will share my own personal guide to tipping. You're right. This is a juicy one. And and apparently, at least according to a recent bank rate report, almost one third of Americans believe that tipping culture has gotten out of control. And to be honest, after researching a bit of the history of tipping in the US, frankly, it has a pretty dark past. You can check out some of the links to this in our show notes. Did I hear some air quotes there around tipping culture, Jason? This is such a big topic now. It has its own culture. Yeah, I think that's the the idea here is that everywhere you go, at least in the US, whether you're buying a, a service or a product or something, there seems to be that tip requested or that tip implied. You've told me about this thing called tip creep where you're prompted, you know, just answer a couple of questions here. In other words, leave a tip. Even if you're buying earrings like I did the other day or some socks, super weird to think about tipping when you're buying socks. But I mean, I feel like I only used to tip when I was buying food or drinks and I was dining out or having those delivered to me. And, you know, I am happy to tip, especially when someone's providing a service and doing a great job with it. Well, and you mentioned the socks, and I'm sure our listeners are thinking socks, like there's no way. No, I actually was requested to make a tip on a sock purchase. It wasn't that recently, but it was recent enough to be fresh in my mind. There's also quite a bit going on for both the tipper and the tippy, right? I mean, you have the uh, whole tax situation if you're earning tips for a living. And then you also have this kind of hidden and and sometimes surprising cost that comes in when that tip is implied or requested. And then frankly, like just coming down to maintaining a living wage and actually being able to support yourself because traditionally tipped workers, they're only paid a couple bucks an hour. Yeah. It makes you wonder how much of their effort goes into trying to do everything and anything that they can do for the people that they're serving so that they can earn that tip. So before we get into the generations, speaking of tips, of course, tips are really a form of income, a form of wages. So Jason, how are tips taxed? Well, like you just said, tips are effectively taxed as as income. And in fact, when the tip is reported through the employer, you end up with this effect that your wages are one amount your tips are reported in a separate spot. And those two are combined to come up with your social security wages because your social security wage earned from the employer and your social security tips, those two things together are what count towards how much social security tax you pay, for example. Now, what's really interesting about being a tip recipient is, and this ties back to some of the technology involved, is it used to be you got cash tips, and I'm not encouraging anyone to do this, always report your income, but cash tips were not necessarily always going to cross through the system that would end up reporting how much your wage was. Where nowadays, every single thing being on a credit card, every single nickel of that is, is of course, captured and reported and recorded. And so you end up with the higher, for example, social security benefit based on your tips because you have more income that's being reported and paid in. But all of it, at the end of the day, every nickel that you receive needs to be reported as earned income. And that is that income that is coming from your job and is taxed 
at the highest rates, right? Ordinary income tax rates uh, out there. That's good to know because this, that's something that I haven't always thought about. And it's really encouraging to me to think, okay, the amount that I'm tipping the person receiving this at the end of the day, when they have their take-home pay, they're not getting my entire tip. Well, Uncle Sam is getting some of your tip, believe it or not. <laughs> and so think about that too. When you tip 20%, that person's in the 22% tax bracket. 22% of that 20% tip is now Uncle Sam's tip. Don't tip the IRS. Well, Jason, thank you for digging into that. Um, now I think we could head into our generations. Today, we're really going to look at the other side of that about how it affects people who are doing the tipping. Um, so let's launch into our baby boomers, our first generation here. One thing that I've seen change recently is, of course, like we've already mentioned, people being asked for tips. So what if a baby boomer is retired and hasn't priced this into their financial plan? Well, there you go, right? You're thinking about the budget or the cash flow plan and what you figured or what you factored in for a lot of sort of the day-to-day -day living expenses, whether you're thinking about entertainment or transportation or food and beverage. And again, some of the things you haven't thought about as far as like where a tip would be needed or requested or implied, you're looking at potentially a 10 to 30% increase in those costs that is being added there that, that maybe it's just not even in the budget, but all of a sudden that screen gets flipped around and that tip is requested and you, and you feel that pressure, right? To pay that tip. And that can make a big difference in, in your cash flow plan. Yeah, that's huge. I feel like before we had this quote unquote tipping culture where it was this driving force behind so much of what we do and we're asked to do, people might not have given such extravagant tips, at least, even if they were, you know, using services where tips were common. And of course, with the tipping culture, with these things amping up, we have all this social pressure. You know, just those couple of questions, there's a little bit of an awkward exchange there that I've noticed. The person asking you to answer those couple of questions is kind of like, you know, please give a little extra if you can. I mean, think about how this went down 20, 30 years ago. You were leaving a tip. Maybe it was in a check presenter uh, at a restaurant. And you were going to leave cash, right? Or you're going to leave some dollars on a table and and just sort of walk away. And there was not this, you know, whole thing of you know, add the tip by pressing this button here or even writing it in on your receipt. It was just something that was done as a expression of gratitude for good service you had or, or just everything was timely and clean and whatnot. And now you have this idea that, well, just to sort of get by to that next step, just to just wrap up the transaction. Oh, you have to answer this. You know, I'm using my air quotes, this optional question. And I understand, right, as, as our baby boomers are listening and thinking, well, you know, I remember when, right? There's absolutely this thing where... You, you certainly have this kind of heightened social pressure again to just, hey, could you hurry up and get this done? You know, go ahead and tap this button here. And it just really doesn't give you that sort of place and time to think about whether or not a tip is even appropriate in that circumstance. Yeah, like you mentioned, it really went from kind of an afterthought, something that you did if somebody went above and beyond for you to now someone almost looking over your shoulder being like, how much are you tipping me there? And it doesn't make you a bad person by any means if you skip a tip. That's okay. But it certainly means that for people who are maybe starting to move into retirement now or looking toward financial independence, this is something you probably want to build into your financial plan, something you want to prepare for, because we don't know how tipping culture is going to be changing in the future. And here we are probably landing on some Gen Xers now at this point and thinking about their financial independence. And what does that mean to factor in the tips and tipping to your budget, to your cash flow plan? And thinking about like potentially what you're doing if you're not financially independent. And if you are, again, high earning years, spending a lot of time 
grinding through, working through, working very hard. And maybe you need more services, more, more time dining out and whatever else that you may just feel inclined to provide that tip because that's taking stuff off of your plate. Now, granted, you're going to pay for a lot of those, but you may find that some of that exemplary service out there gives you a good reason to make sure that you're taking care of the person providing that service so that you can keep up with you and your, in your family's busy schedule. Yeah. We say this a lot, but I'll say it again. Not every financial decision is purely financial. Maybe you're making that financial decision to order food out or have a service performed in your home for you so that you can have more family time so that you can really enjoy those fruits of your labor a little bit more by focusing on your time. And it almost makes me think as we kind of flip the script a little bit is as far as, you know, what if you're in an industry and maybe you've been in an industry for a while that receives or, or customarily gets tips. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'd love to hear some stories about this. So if anyone listening wants to reach out, let us know how has tipping changed your income over the years? Have you seen a spike because of this this tipping culture as the studies and reports would seem to uh, to indicate or or has it not really been that, that effective? Maybe just because the cost of other goods and services are going up right along with it. Right. And here we might not be thinking about folks in Gen X who are, you know, career professionals in some of the industries that we're maybe familiar with, like restaurant industry or um, different service industries. I'm thinking maybe even like super high-end service industries, like what's the biggest tip you've ever gotten? Um, what did you do to earn that tip? My my curiosity is definitely getting the best of me right now. I'm starting to think of like, uh, you know, you see some of these videos. I just saw one on an Instagram reel. And of course, here I am talking about watching Instagram reels, but somebody <laughs> winning a big jackpot at a casino and just tipping that person out 10, 100 dollar bills. That was just the guy giving this winner their winnings. So that's an interesting sort of like uh, where those big tips can come from. And, and then of course, like in a scenario like that, I'm pretty sure at least anecdotally, I, b- I believe that those tips are shared across a, a wide base of employees in, in some place like a casino for sure. Yeah. Interesting. And Jason, we've both said this, we've seen tipping change. Maybe a couple decades ago, we weren't enjoying the same services that we are today because the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic changed so much. But this really does extend to and through all generations. And pre-pandemic, before I came to work for Financial Planning Fort Collins, I did work in an industry where I received tips. So I feel like I've always been one of those people who is maybe a little more willing to give tips. But you know that might have changed too because of this massive shift that we've experienced over the last few years. I feel like as millennials, we are sort of the children of the technology that caused this revolution, so to speak. You mentioned the pandemic. And yeah, I think that's where sort of the inflection point was for how and what we tip for. Because it almost seemed, if you remember during the pandemic, when you were out and about and you were paying for services and there were all these shutdowns and all of these various restrictions, it seemed like the person there sort of deserved dollars just for being there. It was almost like hazard pay, right? Yeah. And so that that is a big part of that inflection point. But then also the technology. Remember, I, t- I talk about this being the children of the technology of this. If you think about things like Uber or Starbucks, there was a period of time where you'd have those apps and you'd be paying for something. You pay for an Uber ride or you pay for your cup of coffee and you weren't even offered the option to provide that tip. And it just seems now like as this technology has grown and has improved and all of a sudden now we have these requests for people that want it. Hey, I want to be able to tip my Uber driver. Uh, I want to be able to tip my barista. These tiny little inclusions have just sort of to continue that that creep into our lives where now pretty much every screen we look at when we're wrapping up a purchase is asking for a button press to just tip the money like it's a monopoly 
<laughs> a set of Monopoly dollars. Yeah. I mean, I don't even carry cash anymore. My partner, Zach, does. He's like the cash carrier in our family. But when you think about it, when you mention those things, when you weren't given the option in the app to tip, you had to carry cash. And now I feel like more people are like me where we don't carry paper money. Do you carry paper money in a wallet, Jason? I do carry cash and only, not necessarily to tip, but only for those scenarios where cash is the only way to pay for something, which frankly is getting rarer and rarer nowadays. Everyone seems to have a square reader. And in fact, like even phones now, it used to be that you'd had to have this separate reader. I just saw, um, I think it was my barber actually, that had a, you could just put the, the card with the RFID chip on the phone and the phone will read it now. The phone will be able to detect the card and actually process the transaction. So pretty much anywhere you go, as long as they're set up to take cards, you can use a card. So I just don't find that I, I often have to have as much cash around anymore just, just for that reason alone. Yeah, I think the last place I went where I didn't have cash on me and cash was the only way to tip was the car wash. So uh, note to self, make sure you bring cash for the full service car wash. But it makes me wonder, you know, since we're on tech for this moment here, what do you think is going to be the next big tech advancement in tipping. And I have my own thoughts here, but I'll let you go first. Well, I hope that the next big advancement in tipping is to make it truly optional to leave a tip. Maybe when you flip that screen around, we don't have 10, 15, 20, 30, whatever percent options there. But maybe it's, hey, would you like to add a tip? That would be a big step forward because let's just forget cutting to the chase. Let's just ask if we even want to go there in the first place. I think that would be a nice inclusion in the advancement of these technologies. I agree. I think that would be fabulous. But then you have to go back and think about the other side. Does that mean that if tips aren't assumed that the employers who have these people on their payroll who are asking for the tip, are they already making a living wage or are they making, you know, what? $2 or $3 and change per hour? Well, and I think that's sort of where we, we all need to educate ourselves about where that situation and scenario apply. Are these traditionally tipped workers in industries like bars and restaurants where that very, very minuscule wage applies? Or is this somebody who's being paid a decent living wage and simply is in a scenario where there is some level of service provided? Now, granted, there's lots of places where you might want to leave a tip just because, again, the service alone sort of knocked it out of the park. But that's, that's again, a whole different spot where there doesn't need to be that sort of implied, you must answer this amount to walk out the door here and wrap up your purchase. Right. Okay. Well, taking a step back, my hope for the tip trends in tech of the future. I hope that some app allows you to plug in your preferred tips for each type of service based on what type of service it is. You don't have to make that split second decision of percentage. Maybe you can like plug in, you know, for this type of service, I prefer to leave this percentage of tip or this dollar amount. So who knows? Maybe that will be something that comes along in the future here. I don't know. But yeah, I just thought I'd share because I thought that might be fun. No, I, I like that. So it's like a almost sort of happening behind the scenes. You know, if you go to the ice cream shop and you get a scoop of ice cream, you like to leave a $1.50, let's just say, for that tip. And every time you run a, a charge on a card, the app knows it's you. It knows it's your card. You've paid for your thing and the tip's just done. And you don't even have to answer the awkward optional question or anything like that. That's a really interesting idea. I do like that. A little machine learning for our tipping there. And also just a little preview of, of what I might be talking about in my tipping guide further on in our podcast here. Oh, yes. AI taking over the world and, and yada, yada, plus tipping guide. Check it out. 
Yes. And uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, I might have thought in the past that I was a very generous tipper. But recently, I've been seeing that a certain generation might not be very good at tipping. I recently read some articles that Gen Zers are the lowest tippers of all the generations. You know, it makes me wonder when I was the age that Gen Zers are today, I maybe didn't have that much extra cash to be tipping. Um, If I was out enjoying a service or a meal out, maybe it was a little tougher for me to um, enjoy that. I had to work a little harder to make that happen. So I didn't have as much left over at the end of it to tip. But what do you think some other reasons might be? Do you think this is a, a, you know, a culture shift in the generations? Well, I totally think you're onto something there, by the way. I mean, I do remember when I was the age of what would now be a, a member of Generation Z, tipping was sort of the thing that I, again, felt obligated to do, but frankly, didn't have the money to do in every circumstance and every time. And so I get that part for sure. Things have changed as far as even the scale of this as well. If you think about when we were the age of Gen Z, like everything was probably 50% less as far as actual cost. So there's that side of it too. But you may be also onto something on the other side of this as far as like a rejection of tipping culture, right? And just the idea that this may not be the way of the future and our young leaders in in the way the world is going to work in 20, 30 years are sort of telling us right now that this is not going to fly. And so that may be a big part of it, a big trend that's changing which could also mean that there's going to be other shifts, whether it's in the labor market and how much people are paid, whether or not the minimum wage for tip traditionally tipped workers stays intact or something else happens there. A lot of things are sort of up in the air depending on how our Gen Z folks will take things. Yeah, maybe they are going to reject seeing all of these like service fees baked in, delivery fees, packaging fees, and they're just going to want to pay for the product that they're being offered or the service that's um, being provided to them. And you're right on that too. I do notice that the implied tip has in some cases gone one step further. And it's turned into sort of a, and I'm using my air quotes, a fee of some kind that's just applied just to the whole bill. I've seen this as like a kitchen fee, like a traditional delivery fee, but then like a delivery and service charge. And there's just all of these little extras in there that, you know, ultimately to me speak to sort of turning back to the employer, trying to find a way to subsidize the pay that they're providing those workers and maybe allowing them this, hey, we're going to tack on this fee and you're going to get a split of that as a way to pass that on to the consumer. Yeah, I've seen that in the form of a health insurance fee so that the employer can afford to take care of a portion of health insurance for employees. Mm -hmm. I've also seen it as a back of house fee where the employer charges the additional fee so that they can pay the the folks working in the back in the kitchens a little more to retain them so that they don't have to pay to hire new staff and spend time, energy, and money training them. So this really does go back to the consumer and it, it says to you and me, hey, maybe look a little deeper into the businesses that you're patronizing. See how folks there are being paid. Look at some job posts for places you like to go and see how the folks who work there behind the scenes are, are being paid and being taken care of by their employers and maybe make that decision. You know, Do you want to keep patronizing this establishment when folks maybe aren't being paid in the way that you would like to see them or do you want to go to this place more because the employers are treating their people really well? And I remember, and I've seen folks get on this hill and do this for the businesses that they want to support the most that are maybe migrating away from a traditionally tipped work environment into one that is not. And then simply saying like, hey, we're going to pay these employees a a better wage because of it. So it really can, those sorts of decisions and, and everyone sort of applying some thought to this could help change some things for the better. 
ultimately. Yeah. And it also keeps the people who are in the service industry, maybe from being able to avoid some of that awkwardness of, of doing more than they actually have to, to make a living wage because they fear that they might not if they don't do this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. You're, you're onto it. Well, let's talk about some of our takeaways from today. What do you, what do you think uh, should be our first takeaway? So the first one for me is one that I follow. Look at the subtotal. Look at the actual um, services you requested or items you ordered, the things that you're purchasing, and tip a percentage on that. You don't need to tip a percentage on the tax or on other fees or percentages that are added into your total. So keep it simple and tip on what you have ordered or what's being provided. And speaking of those fees, like like also let's watch out for those forms of quasi-compensation that are being built into the price that you're already paying. Those service fees, the delivery fees, assuming they're going to the person making the delivery, packaging fees. There, there's all sorts of these, you know, the back of house fee you mentioned. You might consider that applying that to or reducing the tip that you provide simply because you already know that someone is being paid or receiving a portion of that fee that you're already paying. For sure. So look into the companies, look at what their values are, look at what um, they truly believe in, and understand that knowing how the people that you're interacting with are paid can help you be better informed as a tipper and as a buyer. And how about a bonus tip? Usually we have three takeaways. I have a bonus tip on tipping, believe it or not. And that's just don't feel pressured to give a tip where you don't think that tip is necessary or deserved. You know, I've seen a lot of folks turn around the screen and just sort of almost apologetically say this is an optional question, but they almost have to do it to get out of there. And maybe that's part of the the ask is that it's sort of this, like, I really have to ask you this question, but it's optional. Don't feel that to be pressure. If it's a situation where a tip isn't warranted, you don't need to leave one. So with our tipping tips in today's takeaways taken away, I'm going to bring in kind of my bonus. Jason, you got a bonus, so I'm going to provide a bonus here. Right on. And this is my personal tipping guide. Of course, all these amounts are minimums that I base my tipping on, and they go up based on the quality of service that I receive. And once again, this is a personal tipping guide. I'm not encouraging this for everyone out there, but if you want to borrow pieces of it, you're more than welcome to. So here goes. When I'm ordering pickup at a restaurant or a cafe, I'll tip 10%. Mm -hmm. Usually it's walking up to a counter, ordering something, and picking it up myself. I'm not really being served other than someone packaging up some food or making a drink and handing it to me. And then that's going to change when I have a delivery order or something with minimal services, maybe something where I leave my tray or my plate and my silverware at the table that I'm sitting at. And somebody's going to have to come by and clean that up and wipe everything down and really kind of take care of the environment after me once I've dirtied it up. Um, so if I'm doing that or uh, I'm getting delivery, I'll leave 15%. And then I'll go up from there. If I'm sitting down and enjoying um, really full service at a restaurant, having a meal, maybe having a night out, some cocktails with my partner or some friends, my kind of baseline there is 20%. And of course, like I said, everything goes up from there. So if someone really goes out of their way to make sure that I have an enjoyable experience, my minimum for them might be 25% and so on and so forth. But that's kind of a guide that I keep in my notes so that I always have kind of my own baseline so that I'm always treating the service people who I interact with fairly, at least in in my opinion for myself. Now, let me ask you this question. Delivery, as an example, what if they're delivering a refrigerator? Do you tip the same 10%? 
or is this a food delivery? And maybe the, f- the refrigerator delivery person, may- maybe you buy them lunch, right? Maybe you paid, you know, a couple thousand dollars for that fridge, but hey, this person just lugged it in for you and here's a 20, like lunch does on me. What do you think about that approach? You know, I love that, especially if it's something that's going to make that person's day better. I'm all for that. I think that's wonderful. These are also high dollar items. So folks who've been saving up for something like that might not be able to tip as much. So I think especially in instances where maybe you can't enhance the monetary piece of it, maybe enhance the experience. Yeah. And I don't think that expectation is there either. I was just thinking about that, like, whoa, that tip's going to be up there. Right. I think a lot of these, you have to play it by ear. It really depends on the circumstance. It depends on the item. It depends on the interaction. I mean, if, if I get terrible, terrible service... I might not even tip my own personal minimum. I might say say no tip. Now, here's the other thing I was thinking about is like that awkward situation where you've come to the end of a service, whether it's the person installing your internet or uh, something where it's just like, I don't have any cash to tip this person, but I really think they should get a tip. What do you do in that scenario? Because for me, it's just a bunch of apologies and sort of thanks and, hey, you know, like, see you around. I, ho- I hope everything's great. But, but I just feel almost obligated, but don't have the means, don't have the cash with me. How do you handle that? In the past, and I, you know, I have done this before, I've reached out to either the company or to that, this person's superior, if I've been able to find out who that is, and write them a glowing review. Like, call them out by name. If you've had such a great experience, you probably know their first name at least, or you can find it on your receipt and say, hey, this person did such an amazing job. They really deserve some extra credit or extra attention for what they've done for me. If you are not able to tip them personally, maybe their employer can do something extra special to show them that they're a valued employee. I love that. that that's that's a great idea. Now, if you have thoughts on my tipping guide, an idea for a future podcast episode, or anything else that you'd like to share, reach out to us. You can email money and taxes at podcast at fpfoco.com. You'll find that email in the show notes too. This episode was written and produced by me, Jason Spessner. And me, Regina Neenan. I also edited the episode. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Jason Spessner and Regina Neenan are investment advisor representatives of Financial Planning Fort Collins, a registered investment advisor. The information in this podcast is provided for general educational and entertainment purposes only. It may not apply to you or your specific circumstances and should not be considered financial, investment, or tax advice. 